0: Swim Coach in Transit Podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Alexis Cato, who's the head coach for New Trier Aquatics on the north side of Chicago, Illinois. Alexis has coached at the college level at a couple of D1 schools and in three different LSCs as a club coach and has also been involved with the governance side of the sport wherever she's gone. She's been a delegate to the USA Swimming Convention several times and also served in a few national committees. On top of that, she's clearly an awesome coach and I am so glad I asked her to stop by and visit her and her program. As you hear at the beginning of the interview, I had a great time visiting them right from the get-go. The entire staff and the swimmers in all groups were super welcoming and open to sharing and receiving ideas and feedback. And Alexis was also an incredible host showing me around parts of Chicago I had not been to before. To top it off, I think this interview you're about to hear was as great as I could have hoped for. Alexis's wide-range experience and skills as a coach and team leader really made it for a great conversation and there were many times during the editing process when I stopped everything just to take notes. As a side note, I really hope I'm getting her last name right. But uh, anyway, Here's another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast with Alexis Cato. All right, Alexis, so thank you so much for taking the time to sit down.
1: Absolutely, Lucas, looking forward to chatting with you.
0: Yeah, and obviously thank you for uh, all the hospitality so far.
1: Oh, no problem. It's been great having you. I know that the kids have liked it and the coaches have really liked having their uh, philosophies discussed and practices and things like that, so it's been great
0: yeah so I'm actually going to start kind of breaking my own script here and uh I don't think I said this to you yet, so might as well go publicly but thank you so much for making me coach while i'm here <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been it's seriously been great, so I guess anybody listening uh, I've been on the road for four weeks I've been visiting programs, and everybody has been great it's been it's been awesome but you're the first one that said, hey you're coming we're going to put you to work and and again having having not been coaching uh during this time it, w- it was really fun
1: well yeah. it, it's great i think I, the rule is if you show up on the pool deck unless you're a college coach obviously we put you to work we have you come and practice with our kids and experience workout all the way and get to experience the coolness that is our team so. yeah
0: and it really was not just you're gonna coach here's the workout it was you're gonna coach here's the distance group 35 <laughs> to 40 minutes what are you gonna do <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, you said, you said you were interested in senior coaching. So, you know, there you go. And they had a great time. It was a really, I think they really appreciated it and got thinking about their distance in a different way. So
0: yeah. Again, I had a great time, a great group of kids. And, and yeah, on the, on that night, I was like, this is so awesome. I'm coaching again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's cool. I mean, I love, I love having people come and observe, but it's even more fun when my kids can get people saying the, the same thing, but in a different way, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I should do that. And it's like, Yes, you yeah. should. You've you only heard it hundred
0: times, but from me, I'm but. really
1: glad that the three thousandth time I've said it doesn't count. But the hundred, the first time with yeah. no. I mean, my kids are great, so they they are they love being coached by different people, and they see it as an opportunity. So. Yeah. We feel so, fortunate.
0: So yeah, absolutely. So, again, thank you. Mm-hmm. So again, let's kind of uh start start off with what I would usually ask. I'd like you to just go over your path in swimming, mm-hmm. kind of what led you to, to the point you're at today. You can be as succinct or as uh, descriptive as, as you want in terms mm-hmm. of like your swimming as, as an athlete and, and leading up to coaching and what are other coaching spots you had up to this point?
1: Sure. Um, well, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, start swimming in what was called basically TSA, Triangle Swim- Tar Heels Swimming Association in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Tuesday night sprint nights, uh, got to... Learn how to swim at North Hills Swim Club and then eventually at Quail Hollow Swim Club and learned how to race. It's like 50s and 25s. It's the best thing. It's, it's if you've never done it, been there, never done that. I know you're from Atlanta, so you get like that summer league set up and it's just awesome. But every Tuesday night, coaches would not have practice. You'd go to this meet, you'd swim sprints. It's like a coach's dream. Your kid's going and swimming six lactate races in two hours <laughs> and four hours sometimes. And getting some quality racing in, and so that was, it was, it's really, like, the grassroots of swimming, and really shows what swimming can do in, like, a community widespread, which was sort of what got me into swimming and being passionate about it. Uh, I grew up and uh, was fortunate enough to be pretty good at this. Got to go to school for, for free, which was nice, um, at Northwestern University. Um, I worked really, really hard to get there, and I loved every minute of it. My coach there was Jimmy Tierney, and he did a great job of, being patient with me, both in and out of the pool, which was great because I was not the best student right off the bat, (laughs) mostly out of choice, not out of (laughs) (laughs) intellect, I guess. Um, And when I eventually had to retire, he brought me onto the coaching staff, and I got to learn firsthand what it was like to do recruiting, uh, what it was like from that side, and then got to transition. I thought, hey, I'll go to law school, took the LSATs, applied to law school, and, uh, instead decided to swim coach which is kind of the same thing um totally <laughs> same financial path and started ended up coaching at nc state for five years and loved it loved every every minute of being able to work with those athletes and then moved out to colorado got to start coaching at colorado athletic club i did a short stint in there at ymca of the triangle area yoda which uh was awesome. Um, I worked with, uh, Mark Tiberian and Ron Turner, who are two really very different coaches with different personalities and got to see different ways of looking at age group coaching as a possible path for myself. And that's what I did in Colorado. Coached at CAC for 12 years and then decided to move back to Chicago and coach at New Trier, which has been amazing. Like every bit of this job is, it's hard, but it's a hundred percent worth it. Uh, that everybody here loves swimming. It's part of the community, and that's it's really a unique opportunity for a coach.
0: Yeah, it's been great to see the club mm-hmm. uh, up to this point. The club that I've seen that has the most moving parts. It's been really great to see the setup.
1: Yeah, so, uh, I'm fortunate. I have I have a really great staff that pulls it together. We had a meet this morning that you saw. That yeah, I mean everybody was working their butt off and bringing it for the team, and it was really cool. So right. Yeah. So on that path, there's something that I guess it's.
0: Different than what most people, a lot of people start coaching club and then try to make a move to college. And you kind of went the other way around. Is there anything that prompted that, making that move from from college to club?
1: Um, well, I I loved coaching college. It's great. Um, part of it was financially coaching college was not viable at the time when I was doing it. When I was when I started out coaching, and a lot of times coaches don't like to talk about salary. It's one of like the like never talk about how much you make. It's just you just don't say anything, and I think that that's something that needs to be broken, especially for coaches that are starting out. Like my first job, I made at, at NC State, I made twenty three thousand dollars a year as a varsity assistant coach, and and that was the going rate. That it's not right. like NC State it's, played less, right. paid less. It was, it was, the was market. just it was the market at that point, and we, uh, my husband at the time and I, like it was just not a viable career option for me and when we moved out to Colorado it was prompted predominantly by the fact that he was going to have more market value in his career than I was at that time and I was able to find a coaching job in Colorado at a club program Colorado Athletic Club and it was great like I had a lot of autonomy I was allowed to coach how I wanted to coach and I got to wear purple, which I really liked, coming from Northwestern. Um, I do, blue is my favorite color because of my current team. But purple and pink, at the heart <laughs> of it, I absolutely love it. Um, and so that, that was kind of fun. And uh, we got to play around with that color a lot and had a great team environment. And so while I've always entertained the thought of going back to college, I've been able to make a pretty good career doing club coaching. And I've found that I can have a greater impact on the swimming community through club coaching than I could through college uh, at this point anyway. Um, there are very few female head coaches, and that's an important – whether or not I want to wear that mantle or not, it's an important mantle to wear.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty interesting, and, and I I have it on my nose. We might come back to some of the challenges in coaching and, and mm-hmm. talk a little bit about – There were some choices like, that good. I saw some that's of your right. other <laughs>
1: questions. That, uh, yeah, I think um, – yeah, that will open up some yeah interesting conversation.
0: Which I think I think it's I agree with you. I think it's something that we need to talk a little bit more about, and mm-hmm. not last, but just to kind of get get started, get get warmed up mm-hmm. before before I go there. So you mentioned some names, mentioned some of your coaches. Uh, is there any other mentors that have kind of guided or impacted your your way of coaching?
1: Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think that it's really important that any coach that you swim for, or coach with, or coach next to, you can learn something from. Um, Whether or not you think they're a good coach or a bad coach, they've always got the, they love swimming. And someone who loves swimming, whether or not they're, they coach completely different from you or completely the same, has like a good thing that you can pull from them. But uh, big mentors that I have, uh, John Payne at Triangle Aquatic Center at Tac Titans. He's, um, he was my coach growing up. And then as we've gotten older, he's been a mentor and a peer. And and I really appreciate his consult. He's a lot more even keel than I am um, and so <laughs> it's nice to talk to somebody who has a much more global perspective on how to approach swimming that's how he approached it when I swam for him and that's how um, you know when we talk that's one of the things that he emphasizes uh, Vicki peoples was my high school coach and she was the only female coach I think I saw like in a lead role at the high school level and she won multiple high school state titles capitalizing on the strengths of everybody to come together for the good of the whole program and she did a really good job of making sure that everybody mattered and that's something that i i try every day i don't i don't i don't think you ever really truly really succeed but i try every day and she did such a good job of like taking like these kids that because our, our high school program you'd have 250 people try out for 70 spots for guys and girls combined it was such a small program and um it was the best I'd like to think it was the best athletic program at my high school, but I think basketball would probably disagree, but (laughs) that, uh, that was something where we really focused a lot on trying to get everybody involved. And so even though I may be doing this awesome path of swimming, my path was just as important as the person who was, you know, going on the sea relay, swimming freestyle for the first time. And she made sure that everybody felt that, and I think that that's really important. And I think that's something that sometimes we miss as senior coaches, especially. Like it's really easy to get caught up in the sparkle of.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, f- fast swimming feels more exciting. Oh my gosh, for sure. Yeah. But it's but, but
1: it, it, every for, single kid in every single lane, like I today, you know, we watched I mean, countless numbers of like cuteness, like yeah. swim <laughs> up and down the pool as they, yeah. you know, swim the 25 breaststroke for the first time. Like that's just as exciting. Yeah. Um, on on a lot of levels, and so it was really. She, those those two probably and then Jonathan Watson at New Wave was another one he was a big technician um, he also did a lot on creating communication within a team like the way that he communicated with the team was unbelievable he did such a good job of creating this idea that you gotta commu- that the root of all success in a program was communication and I think that I mean we had newsletters with boxes and stuff like back in the 90s like the early 90s or late 80s like you wouldn't even think that that would be important, but it really was. Like, he highlighted new B times, new A, you know, like everything. And I think that that's something that, you know, kept our program really close. A lot of the families and kids are still really close. So that's that shows a lot when you look back how impactful, like, his job of and his role in that communication and creating those relationships. I mean, there's, I like, I, I've been so fortunate because I've really had, like, just, like, the golden coaching cycle I got to have coaches you know my, my last club coach my last two club coaches Paul Silver and Dave Bottom are some of the most well-connected well-educated you know amazing coaches in the country and so they would create these amazing workouts and have these amazing coaches come and guest coach and be a part of our program and you know that that has served me well as I've become a club coach and being able to have those resources to reach out
0: all right yeah, I, some names there that I know, but I, I didn't know you were on to. So yeah,
1: yeah, really cool. I, I've been doing this a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody thinks uh, I'm a lot younger than I really am. <laughs> so, I, I, It's I just, like just the experience. You have a lot of experience. You're not, not old, it's just yeah, the experience. Experience, Accumulating
0: yeah. all these times. Is there, besides uh, bouncing ideas off of other coaches, uh, is there any other tools that you use to learn more or to improve your coaching? Any particular books, any articles, websites? That you would kind of cite as some some sources.
1: Sure, um, I read a lot.
0: Yeah, we, <laughs> You're we sitting, all, we're sitting we sitting in yeah. <laughs> we're sitting
1: in my room of books right now. Um, I read a lot. I, I draw from all different sports. My grandfather was a basketball coach, and my dad was an age group hockey coach. And uh, you know, I different different sports bring different pieces to it. Uh, there's a great basketball. Twitter feed called Coaching You that's all about basketball coaching styles and um, different ways to run drills and run programs. And it's really neat to watch. They post a lot of videos of coaches coaching the drills. And I think that's something that USA Swimming, I'd love to see more of is, yeah, I'm going to kind of poke a little bit on this. Um, (laughs) Like having, having, um, having those videos of how coaches are putting this to work how is this putting into practice. I think there's a lot of when you look at um I was an education major for a short period of time at Northwestern again we can revisit the education side of my world <laughs> another time but I was an education major and then focused on that as my graduate degree and that uh the way you teach is almost more important than what you teach because that's part of what, part of what makes an impact. And so watching How basketball coaches are communicating with their athletes, how they're talking with their athletes, you know, and they've got, they're running these camps with like 20 people and they're running them through drills and they're giving them all feedback and watching them interact and move on the, on the screen is really kind of interesting because then you start reevaluating how you're doing it as a swim coach. Because I think sometimes we have a tendency to stay in one place and only do one thing. And I'm equally guilty as many coaches of just standing at the end of the lane where the kids stop instead of creating that movement. Um, I have a couple coaches on my staff that are really good at moving and making sure that they're, they're talking and walking around where the kids can see that they're just as active in it. And, um, so that's, that's one I use a lot. Um, but really anything, I mean, if you, if you look on my, I've got education books, I've got sports books, I've got philosophy books, like there's no amount that you can you never stop learning, right? And yeah. and there's always a way that I can do things differently. And when I came here, I had to learn how to do things differently. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah, I'm a. Yeah. Uh, I am we had conversations about books off off of a uh, coaching before. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool to see to see your living room. Uh, my, I guess I have. I'm like halfway down this path, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, in my living room, but uh yeah, I mean it feeling the same way, like trying to learn from from all different areas, yeah and, uh,
1: absolutely yeah,
0: so do you have any um any particular or favorite failure story and, and and what I mean by that is something that felt like a failure at the time but but you're you were glad you went through this because it, it helped kind of set the foundation for for the future help help you learn some lesson that it was uh especially important later on?
1: Well, there's a lot of those. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't, it's hard to pinpoint like one that definitely set me on a path. Um, uh, but I would say right off the bat, when I was coaching in Colorado, we did an expansion project, um, where we expanded to 300 athletes, which considering my current program, it's kind of hilarious that I'm like, wow, 300 is so many kids, (laughs) but, um, uh, the, it, we decided to open up another branch and we went from 150 athletes to 300. So we doubled in size in like a year and it was awesome because we were able to have a great impact, but the infrastructure that we had set up was not sufficient for supporting that and making it efficient. And so when that coach that I had at that other site decided he wanted to go into his own thing and, a lot of the kids followed him when he went and did that. I um I was actually relieved because <laughs> it <laughs> was it, it I was happy for him because I always like my coaches to move on and grow as much as I want them to stay with me forever. And I think parents always want them to stay with me. we want the coaches to launch it. Coaches need to grow. They need to they need to be able to feel like they can move and try different things. The standard, you know, at, at the college level, the co- coaches stick around for like three to four years max. Like there's this movement until you kind of hit a head coaching job or right. an associate job where you can really kind of set down roots. And when he said he wanted to go do that, it was like it was hard because he was a good friend. He was a good good guy. But um, we did not have the infrastructure to support that. And so we took the hit financially. I mean it like 75 kids left like right off the bat. It was that's, brutal. That's a it was number. brutal. The year later we ended up closing down that site. Went back down to sitting right around one hundred and fifty to one hundred and eighty, and I'll be honest. Like we found where our happy medium was, and I think the the three things that I took away from that was first, know your space, know what your identity is, know what you're capable of doing, know what your system can sustain, both at the financial side as well as the like the actual like emotional side of the team. Um, our team couldn't make that work geographically it didn't work out super well philosophically it was a struggle and so that was tough two when you have growth you need to you need to have a plan for how how that's going to look what that's going to look like you know if it's a rapid growth how are you going to sustain it and maintain it what if it doesn't work what if you know how do you manage it if this, this works this this kind of fails a little bit or doesn't grow as quickly as you'd like it to and then lastly the big part was know your staff know where your staff goals are and be okay with supporting them because that was a big part of it like he felt comfortable enough to come and talk to me and say hey I really want to do this I want to take this opportunity and and I had to be okay with that and be happy for him like as hard as it was for me as much as it was going to suck because we were a corporate owned team As much as it was going to suck for me on Monday when I had to go in and explain what was going to happen and how that was going to hit me financially and how that was going to, you know, and the the optics of the situation, it was okay. And so now, this year, my program's grown almost 100% in the past. I mean, we were 360-ish when I started, and now we're 670-some. But it's been planned growth. And you know, sometimes it feels a little scary, but there's a plan for how that's going to manage, how that's going to work, how that's going to look. Um, does that mean we have to get more pool space? Does that mean we have to hire more coaches? Um, does it mean we have to look at salarying more coaches? How, how does that affect us on all these different levels? And that's, that, that prepared me for that a little bit better. So I didn't worry and I could be confident as the leader of our organization that this was the right move and so far we've been doing pretty well like our expansion has been you know we've expanded into other sports like water polo um and masters which has been great and you know expanded to other facilities and and really kind of watched what's best for our community and what's best for our infrastructure and that's and, and learning to say no when i need to and learning when to say yes so yeah
0: that's pretty good yeah uh, th- thanks for sharing that story that, that right? would yeah. yeah there's
1: and there, there's like tons of others and any coach that tells you they haven't failed is a lie like you, any coach that you see that's successful has failed 8,000 yes. times and right. and I will I will definitely like there's there's plenty plenty of others that I could easily say that are in that same realm
0: <laughs> what would you say was the best career decision you had up to this point
1: becoming a coach in the first place honestly like I mean I was I was really close to going to law school I really was like that was I wanted to be a sports agent I was working at a sports agency in Denver that worked with the Broncos like I wanted to be a sports agent and I was going to go to law school and I had a plan of how I was going to get it paid for by my firm and Then NC State happened, and it was like going home. It was going and coaching with a coach I had admired for years in Brooks Teal at a pool I dreamed of coaching at, at a facility I loved, at a school I loved. I grew up in Raleigh. Like, I, I bleed red. Like, it's – I love Northwestern, but NC State at heart all the way. My sister went there. My dad worked there. Like, it's it's my my lifeblood. Um, and I – Bailed on getting law school paid for, having a great job. <laughs> um, my fiance, my boyfriend at the time, was there. eventual fiance. I just, I was like, I, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm gonna go be a coach. Like, I don't, I don't care. This is what I love, and um, I loved it when I was at Northwestern. And it was hard for me to move to Colorado and do something different, even though I liked the idea of the sports agency world and the cutthroat nature of it. Like I loved that, it was so competitive. Uh-huh. But yeah, when I started, that was December of 2005 when I started at NC State and it was awesome. Like it was it was everything I wanted it to be. And not having to go into the office at 8 a.m. in the morning and leave at 5 p.m. and wear business att- And I do like dressing up, but yeah. <laughs> like office attire is different. And like having to wear office appropriate attire and be makeup and hair and like, that you've seen me much more comfortable (laughs) in sweats and a t-shirt and it's it was a very it was a huge thing like that honestly was probably the best decision I've ever made if you're talking about just in swim coaching when I stepped away from NC State as much as I loved it I had to finish my graduate degree I was having a lot of trouble finishing it and um, we were looking at moving and it was a. It was tough and i loved those kids that i was coaching i was coaching distance and breaststroke and 400 IM, and it was a lot of fun like i got to write a bazillion different workouts every day it was great and then um but having i, I literally quit without a job <laughs> and um it was terrifying and i took my resume around to the programs in the area and was like i'm looking for a job i'll take anything you got and i coached club just kind of like as an hourly coach for a year Made zero dollars, eleven dollars an hour. I take that back. It was eleven dollars an hour. <laughs> so zero dollars. Um, and and coach masters and coach summer league and just kind of had a really great year doing that, which gave me some experience doing different things. I coached high school during that period of time. It's the first time, first and only time I coached high school, which is great. I'm still friends with, like these kids are now like almost thirty, <laughs> and so that's pretty cool. Like to see them grow up and have stayed in touch with a couple of them and. Yeah, so that was, in terms of coaching, that was probably that was the hardest thing I've ever done, was walking in and deciding that I didn't want to do that anymore, um, and then not having a plan, <laughs> which is not my style, and, and and just jumping off with two feet and going for it, and um, it worked out. So,
0: yeah, awesome. And so, if you if you could go back in time, and give give yourself as a starting coach some advice what would you say
1: there'd be three things okay the first would be if you can figure it out go be a volunteer coach somewhere go find the best program in the entire world with the best coach and go be a volunteer coach there and don't take no for an answer like get in that door and be a volunteer coach coaching college is really cool um because you get to work with some of these athletes that they, they really love it. And if you really love it, they're going to really love it too every single day that they come to the pool. And they train. They do insane things. And it's just really neat to do. Um, and If you can't get at the, at the best, best program, find the closest program to where you want to live. And go and do that. Go and work in that area. And that would be thing number two. If you can't, go find the place that you've ever, you've always wanted to live go live there and find and just volunteer just get get on deck there like feel like I want to go I really want to go to New York. I'd love to live in New York. There's tons of college teams in the New York City area. Go and do a year there and get some job be poor, be broke and do it because you love it. If you still love it after a year of like not making any money, you're going to love it for the rest of your life because right. you're going to take every job for every single job you're just going to love. Um and then the last thing would be um don't be afraid of introducing yourself to other people like my first five years of like club coaching not so much college coaching a little bit college coaching but more so co- club coaching I was really I was terrified of talking to people because I didn't want I felt like a, I felt like I was you know like the emperor's new clothes like I didn't I didn't fit in I didn't belong and the thing is is nobody does everybody feels that way everybody feels like they're not that somebody's going to find out that they don't know everything <laughs> and you don't, and you're going to have seasons that suck. You're going to have seasons that you don't completely screw up and you, and it's, and you know, it's a hundred percent your fault, you know, and there's nothing you can, there, there's things you can always look back from, but can you learn from it? And just being able to create that network early in your career is really important. I've been fortunate later in my career to create that network, but, uh, I, I, would have loved it when I was, when I was just starting out, like to just be able to talk to other people about coaching, like what I was battling every day, what it was like, you know, the early mornings, the late nights, the assistants, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it's working with pools. I mean, Jesus, like, (laughs) like working with facilities is, it's awesome if you can build a great relationship with a facility, but there's some times where it just doesn't work, and it's hard, and you're, and it breaks down, and how do you handle when parents are mad because you've canceled this? And it's just not having that as a really young coach was really hard because I felt very alone, and it was really – because I couldn't my, – my husband at the time wasn't a coach. He didn't get it. He didn't understand, and he tried. Like, he was super supportive, but he didn't understand why I was upset that the heater broke at 7 o'clock and that I – was now going to be out of heater for three days, and I was going to either have to have the kids practice in cold water or find another facility or, right. you know, and explain it to the parents because we we're two weeks out of state, and, you know, and like the, the, he's like, well, you get the day off. Well, yeah, I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. That's concerning to me, you know, and so it's it's uh, that that would have been nice when I was younger, and so I try very hard to reach out to younger coaches now and encourage that kind of relationship um, because now I do have that. And oddly enough, the, the group I coached at Eastern, Eastern Zone Select Camp, and you and I talked about this earlier in the week, and we, we coached together two years ago, and we still have a very, very active group chat, and we talk like almost every day to each other and care about each other and share problems and share solutions and workouts and jokes or funny memes or whatever. And I, I, I truly, genuinely wish I had had that when I was first starting out because I would have felt so much more confident walking on the deck. So that, yeah, there you go. Right. That's what I got,
0: that's good. So I guess it's a, it's a pretty good segue to, uh, cause we're going to get there mm-hmm. again in a minute, but this question, actually I started, I added this out of a conversation we both had at convention, mm-hmm. which we were talking about, uh, how to hire. Mm, and, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and, I guess your, your comment at the time is like, yeah, currently it's like, it's pretty hard. It's been, been, been hard to, to hire assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. What is your, how do you go about it? What's mm-hmm. your, what's your strategy?
1: <laughs> oh Lord. Um, I don't have one. I wish I had one. No, I do. I do have a strategy. Uh, first is like, it depends on the position. I really like when we talk about like younger coaches or part-time coaches. I love it if they can come from the program. I think that's super impactful to have people that have been involved with your program coach with you as you go. Um, When I was in Colorado, I always had former swimmers or even current swimmers before they even started the junior coach program. We had junior coaches on our staff. It's just so impactful for the kids to be like, "Oh, that's my coach." You know, like when that kid goes and swims, that's my coach. When they were would coach in college and come back in the summer, they'd come and coach. Oh, that's my coach when they go swim and have that identity and feel. A level of pride. We had two coaches swim today at the meet.
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool.
1: And the kids lined the pool to watch yeah. them swim and cheered and yelled. And they, they're from they kids that are from the program and um, that grew up in the Nutria program and in the Nutria culture. And it's incredibly impactful to have, especially even if they're only coming two three nights a week. Like yeah. find them; they're in the area. There's somebody that's like you're like Hey, could you come and do this? You can train them. Find your your best ten and under coach and have them go train with them for like 6 months because if they can learn how to coach 10 and they can coach anything like legitimately because that's the hardest that's the hardest if you can get a if you can get a 6 year old to streamline to the kick underwater to the flags you're a genius because <laughs> i can't get 16 year olds to do it so um, that's something where you, you just you, that's the first step as your part-time staff like who are the people that are helping out when you're looking more at like your uh more salaried or more full-time or more significant time, group leads, that kind of thing. That's where it gets a little trickier because you want somebody with some experience. But I think one thing we've done with our staff is kind of look outside the box for that experience. We have a woman on our staff who really hadn't coached but had taught some swim lessons but did a lot of stuff with theater to work with kids and theater projects. And so she was used to getting kids to remember lines, to work together as a group, to create like this team environment. Uh, Her attention to detail is unbelievable we have a coach on our staff who taught spin you know prior to coming and coaching for us Uh, we have a number that have taught that have taught swim lessons and that's where they came from we have one woman on our staff who swam in Europe and because she was in the army so she swam in all these European teams so her approach to swimming is completely different because she's got kind of this European flair to her where it's a little bit more she's very restrained she's very you know but but there's this intensity to her, which is really cool. Um, and then, I, like my head age group coach worked for Home Depot and was going to be a teacher, and now he's a head age group coach. You know, and it's 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 amazing to to find people that have had different life experiences to come to the table because then they are going to value what it means to be a coach so much more because it's different and it's special and your rewards far exceed the dollar amounts on your paycheck because let's be honest
0: <laughs> those are not very high
1: they're not very high and so <laughs> it's and we do a very good job here we're very fortunate at our club but there's so many clubs in the country where it like i mean my most of my staff is salaried and benefited and retirement and we really do an amazing job i'm so fortunate to have that because there's so many clubs where like that's that's not, not in existence really, like yeah. you can barely get enough money to pay for your own insurance you know and um, that's not the case here and that's really special um, that we can do that and I think, our, I think our staff agrees with that and like appreciates that and appreciates the community in terms of finding staff sometimes it's word of mouth a little bit like especially if you've got kind of one of those jobs that isn't going to pay it super super well comparatively speaking and you can't afford like a moving stipend or something like that we have to kind of see who's around You know, scout the other teams that are in the area a little bit. You know, (laughs) I've poached a team or two, not a ton, not a ton. I'll be honest, I don't. Um, But, like, find out who maybe has been, who's in the area that hasn't coached in, like, 10 years. And it's just, their kids are now kind of in school. They've got some free time. Let's get them on board, you know, and, and get them doing some stuff for us, which has been really useful. Swim coaches exchange sometimes. Find coaches from other venues and... And bring him in, teach him how to coach. I mean, my high school coach was a gymnast. She didn't know how to swim. So I it's knew how to coach. but she knew how to coach. Yeah. And and I um, you know, one of the one of my good friends coached college for years, 25, 30 years, and he's now coaching basketball up in Pennsylvania. A coach is a coach. Right. You can teach him the sport, you can teach him the fundamentals, find somebody who's a good coach. Yeah. And who enjoys that. And so we've we've started kind of branching out a little bit more in those realms, bringing them on as part time and then moving them to full time and integrating them that way. So
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, I always I mean I, I think you're not the first one to say that if somebody can teach, if somebody can coach something else, teaching the swimming portion of the sport it's is the easy part. Mm-hmm. T- teaching the, the interaction with the kids and, and how to how to actually teach that that's the hard part.
1: Absolutely. That's the that's the hard part. And getting them engaged, getting them excited—that's tricky. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So once you once you find personal, once you find people to bring in, do you have do you have any specific things you do about onboarding, about getting them into the program and make? I guess when you're hiring from within the program, it's probably a little easier because they kind of at least have an idea of what the program looks like, mm-hmm. even though it might be as a swimmer and not as a coach, but they have an idea of what the program looks like and what the philosophy mm-hmm. is. But when you bring them from outside, do you have anything to do to make sure they?
1: I, you know, I wish we did. Like honestly, I wish we had a better protocol. But usually, when you're hiring a coach, and and you've probably been through this, where you don't get the coach on board until like September, and you're like, you gotta go. Like you don't, you don't yeah, have as much. Sometimes January, sometimes January. Yeah, you know? and it's just like, <laughs> oh, geez, we just did it. You know, we just got to get him on the deck because we just, I just need to breathe because I've been covering this workout or I've been doing this or doing that. And that's one of the things that we're working on. I, I do a couple of things that we do. I mean, obviously, we have an HR. We use ADP and and farm out our HR stuff, and they they get onboarded with ADP from that side for like the benefits and the and that kind of stuff. So I don't have to worry about that, thank God, because nobody wants me consulting them on retirement. <laughs> um, but the uh, the other side of that, like the the coaching side, we try to have them coach with. Within their first month, we try to have them coach with as many coaches as possible, so they kind of get a little bit of the flow from the program. Sometimes that's doable. Sometimes it's not. Right now, we're at six different sites, so it gets a little tricky. But we do try to have everybody work with everybody else as much as possible to learn the learning style, to learn their how do they coach? What's what's this group do? What's that group do? I mean, we have 14 programs on our swim tide alone, so it's you know learning how that flow works is tricky. Um, yeah. I remember when I came on board and looked at the schedule, like I was. A little overwhelmed, but once you kind of figure it out and kind of you start to identify how kids fit and can move through our system, because there is a place for everybody. and And then we also try to make sure that they work with, depending on where they're going, we want to make them work with certain coaches, and depending on which group they're going to be working on. So we do have a little bit of a plan. I do wish we had something a little more formal, and you know that goes on the list of to dos. Yeah,
0: uh, I, I I like asking that question. I think. Not a lot of places have that, mm-hmm. and, and it's something that once you start thinking about, it, it's like, wow, well, maybe that's why I've been having so much trouble lately. Yeah, and
1: I do, I do think that that's part of it. I think that there, if we could come up with a better way to onboard coaches, I think across the industry, because I was bad at it. I, it, you know, it, my, my old program, we were small enough; we were at the same facility. I think when you're in one facility, it's a lot easier because yeah. you can have conversations, you can have that kind of flow and that ebb. Um, when you have multiple sites, it, it gets a little trickier. When you have multiple things going on.
0: All right. And if you had, I, this is a, my first time asking this question was a hypothetical. Let's say you have unlimited money to spend on professional development for your staff, mm. where would you spend it?
1: Everywhere. Oh my gosh. If I had unlimited professional development money, and we, we do have a fair amount, so that's right. nice. Yeah. Um, because I value it. I value it so much. I would have I would have a, a guest speaker every month coming in and talking about something. Um, I, I would send my coaches to camps and clinics of all kinds whether it was swimming soccer basketball like i don't even care like let's go see other stuff let's learn other stuff i would you know i i would 100% look at creating our own clinic it's something that i've i've got a quiet passion for that i would love to have a coaches clinic in house where we offered something to our community that was very realistic you know like how to run a business how to look at a business plan? What's a four hundred one k? How do I really need to invest and plan for retirement? How do I onboard staff? How do I and get get kind of these topics out there that how do I handle legal matters? You know, with the era of safe sport, there's the positives and the negatives. You know, uh, what do you do with how do you handle the psychological effects of this sport? You know, the positives and the negatives. How are you? How are you coaching? What does that mean? I'd have the, the first thing actually. Now that I think about it first thing I would do is I would have somebody come in who specializes in body language, honestly, because I think it's the first way that people communicate is body language, and we don't spend enough time talking about that. You know, what your word choice is, what your body language is saying, you know, the difference between crossed arms, relaxed arms, hands by your side, hands in your pockets. Like, there's an entire world, an entire science field that's dedicated to this environmental stuff, environmental, uh, philosophy, you know, yeah. in education, I would absolutely, mm-hmm. that would be, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> uh, I would, I would bring somebody in to, to look at our environments and help us analyze how we're coaching, you know, like what language, like, when, like just come in and videotape our class, our workouts and say, Hey, look, you know, look at what you're doing. Look at what you're saying. This is what your body language is communicating to your athletes right now. When you're standing on your deck with your arms crossed, this says one thing, you know, you're, right. you're closing off your body language. And and I did like one class in this in college. So I'm not anywhere near an expert, but <laughs> well, like there's, you are. Oh, toilet, toilet, toilet. <laughs> uh, but like there's things like colors and foods and like how those, uh, how those things affect the environment and your memory tracks and your memory patterns. And, uh, you know, we use a lot of music at practice and, We had a practice on Thursday where I forgot the speaker and it made a difference. Like it really made an energy difference. And anybody who's listening to me right now knows how much I used to hate coaching with music on the deck. (laughs) And so I'm sorry (laughs) that's changed significantly. I know we talk about things that have changed as a coach. That's one. I I used to hate coaching with music on the deck because it was serious time. We needed to be focused and nah, we need music on the deck like 24 seven. It's like, if I don't have it, I like miss it. And so, yeah. however
0: bad you think you might've been, mm-hmm. I am 10 times worse. <laughs> One, because.
1: Well, you kids, can't, you can't pay Iron Maid yeah. in that practice. <laughs> I just don't want to listen to what
0: I want to listen to during right. practice. But yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I, I feel like that too. I like, yeah. it's, I'm, I want to communicate. I want to be able to talk and I don't want to have to talk over the music and this and that and, and uh, seeing some places make it work with the music it, it hopefully is getting me to learn some tricks here as
1: well i'm going to tell you that's why i bought an iWatch because i can control the speaker from my phone my watch and i don't have to be by my phone i don't have to be by the speaker everything's bluetooth and it's i can like turn it down when i need to talk turn it up when i need to and then when i forget it my assistant he does the same thing on his phone and it's it's pretty slick like and yeah. it it change like we talk we come on the deck and the first thing we talk about is all right what kind of day is this what kind of music are you listening to is it a night is it a coach's music day or is it a kid's music day you know (laughs) and when it's coach's music the kids are like okay we're going to be facing the water for a little while but you know it's it is something where like sorry we totally got off topic but i that i would bring somebody into i would bring somebody in to kind of talk about like the environmental aspect of that because i do think you know people talk about stuff like uh, the nc why is nc state so good you know, why are they so fast? How do they get so good so fast? Yeah. Look at the environment on the deck. Anytime they put I mean, and I'm sure it's social media friendly, but like it's yeah, it's they, high they, energy. They put out
0: a lot of videos and every it, time you see it it's, it's high like, energy. Music it's not and, it's not and they're doing all those different things. It's kind of interesting and need to watch, but it's not again, it's not the X's and O's. it's that there's just so much energy it's the into vibe. whatever they're doing. And you
1: look at the body language of the coaches when they're on the deck, they're moving around, they're excited, they're hype, and I think I mean, although I could never be that hype in my entire life, um, <laughs> I definitely think there's something towards like an animated engagement that is imp- that is important that I think a lot of coaches miss out on, and I think it would be really cool to bring in a specialist that could work with my coaches on that. Um, I mean, when I was when I was teaching, I when I was doing my so I did I did my student teaching at Nutriure in 1998, and. Um, before all of the children that I coach were born <laughs> that's great anyway um so I did my student teaching at Nutrier and we had people that we had to take a class on how to present on how to write on a whiteboard on how to um how to stand in the front of the class where you, where you should stand how you should stand uh we had to take public speaking which I'm saying a lot of ohms right now and that would I would be ticked like five points for each one of those but just being able to like pay attention to your tenor paying attention to how you're communicating what words are you using are you using too much humor relying too much on humor versus substance for your communication style and balancing that out and creating that environment and it was really those that was there was, was like a series like three classes that I had to take at Northwestern and it was really kind of cool um the public speaking one was it's like you had to talk every single week and I'm contrary to popular belief a huge introvert (laughs) so public speaking is like terrifying for me and it was something that got me over that and being able to be comfortable and natural and honest being able to represent honest I still don't do a great job at it but you know I mean it's it's about like trying every day to do it better just like we tell the kids like you know when you come off the deck and you've had a crap workout and it's your fault you know right and being able to turn around and go okay all right I'm gonna reframe this we're gonna
0: yeah how do we change this yeah. yeah So. That's good. I mean, I love the idea of body language and well, the environment from and this is...
1: Brazil, your meat's like, you've got music <laughs> all the time, right? Down in Brazil, yeah. like everything is involved in music. There's nothing that isn't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of moving on here is uh, if if you... I guess we, we already talked about some, so many things that you... Other topics, but maybe you can pick a new one. But if you were to yourself give a presentation or mm-hmm. teach a college class, one of the two... Mm-hmm. On, on a topic other than swimming, mm-hmm. and I guess at this point, other than body language. Other than body language, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. What would you think that would be? What? Um, what's your kind of secret skill here? Okay, secret, secret skill. Secret
1: uh, well, I would love to teach a class on poetry. I love poetry. I think that goes along with music. But I love poetry. I love wordplay. My master's degree is in rhetoric and composition. So it's in how words work together to create an argument. And... I would absolutely love to teach a class on poetry. I think it's just amazing, not like like writing it, but also like reading it and understanding it and like what it can actually mean. I think I think poetry has a unique power and different poets connect with different people in different ways. Like some people really like limericks and haikus and I used to there used to be a practice where we do breath control and during the breath control they also had to it was Five seven five breath control. So they had to come up with a haiku. So it was a haiku five hundred, and they had to come up with a haiku during the course of the five hundred while they were doing the breath control. And that was really cool, like watching the kids come up with that. And uh, there was there was a. I I think there's something to that, you know. My favorite music is always the ones that have really cool words and cool lyrics, and I would I would totally teach that. So that either that or a class on gratitude. I think gratitude is actually really big. I love teaching. I do I do a presentation when I travel on gratitude that's usually something that I include in whatever I'm teaching and it's one of the most impactful presentations that I do I think Um, because you kind of reach into how to write a thank you and how to really tell somebody that you're thankful for them and that's it's something I value extremely and like my my mom used to make me write thank yous for everything and I couldn't just write thank you for the money it was great (laughs) my birthday was awesome. Like I had to, we had a whole process that we went through on how to share what you were using it for. Like if somebody gave you $20, what are you going to use it for? And then use it for that. You know, if you're going to, like I would, I would raise money for Swimathon and I love doing it because, you know, I'm competitive and so I wanted to raise more money than everybody else. The downside was I had to then write thank yous to everybody that donated. Yeah.
0: That was a lot of thank yous. That was a lot of thank <laughs>
1: yous. So but but the thing is is that that's that's an important thing and it's an, it's a lost art. And I think if I can make one impact, that that would be that'd be the presentation I would do f- like I love that. I love it. It's yeah. just it's really fun. It's I I can I do one where it's like gratitude solely, and then I do another one that's combined with apology. Um, and learning how to genuinely apologize because during the the process of apology you also find gratitude so oh i, I sorry i just got like super no, deep no, there i I, brought no, it I, there. I, <laughs> I
0: we it's funny cuz those are two topics we had not talked about yet and i i love them both i think this past season i wrote thank you letters to parents of graduating seniors mm-hmm. and it was impactful to me in terms of the things that they've done to me to, to make to make me feel welcome we we write thank you letters to the seniors and i felt like that was that was pretty cool and it was nice because i uh had a couple moments with, with some of the, our graduating seniors that then in their letters to the club they also mentioned so mm-hmm. independently, the we kind of thought about the same thing and uh the same thing on apologizing i feel like that's uh something i would like to see like uh, a clinic talking about because i I do feel like my coaching career took a, or, or my relationship with the with the kids I was coaching at the time uh, improved so much once I learned how to apologize for things that I've done as a coach. Yeah. And and it was so impactful.
1: It, it absolutely is. And it's taking ownership, you feel like it's a cop-out. Um, you know, we had some stuff that we did wrong this summer, and uh, I had to apologize to my board. I had to apologize to a bunch of coaches, like, and... Like, I don't apologize lightly. That's, like, super... Right. Like, I thought very much about what I was going to say and how I was going to say it and how I was going to talk to them. And, and and, you know, I think both of those can, dri- can... If you do it right, it drives you to a very emotional place. And, I mean, like, whenever I write a thank you to a kid, which you can't do anymore, thank you, safe sport, but <laughs> th- whenever I write a thank you to a kid... Um, it i would start crying because like these kids change your lives these parents change your lives yes. you know and it's it's an amazing moment to to have when you reflect on like a kid you've coached since they were 9 or 10 yeah you know like and and how they've changed you you know as a coach you know so mm-hmm. yeah no i wish i could i i don't know i may just do it anyway <laughs> screw yeah, safe for you <laughs> yeah well it's got to fall under a safety clause right they're 18 right i can send them a thank you for being a cool kid
0: well their their parents in our kids parents are asking to write thank you letters for for graduating Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i don't know i I don't want to go into safe sport right now because there's things i guess nobody understands nobody does it's tough that's Uh, tough but
1: it's but it's something that i think is so impactful yeah it's so impactful and i would i would love to that would be so if i was gonna do a presentation i would do that one i and like i said i try to do it every time i go somewhere I try to convince whoever I'm there to let me, let me do it Um, because that's important. All right. Do you, do you have any hobbies? uh, Besides the books on the wall (laughs) (laughs) or the puzzle on the table that we're kind of working around right now? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have a lot. Um, Music is obviously a big one. Right. I love going to concerts. We've been talking about that all week. You know how important music is. I spend my money kind of on three things. Music food, and clothes. Um, I, and you've seen all three this week. Um, <laughs> so I spent a lot of money on concerts, um, music in general, just being able to have vinyl. And, yeah, it's still, I, I, it I had I, been so
0: long since I listened to vinyl and, oh and listened to some vinyl here. It's like, oh, my God, it's so much fun. Love it. It's so yeah. great.
1: Well, you listen to an album from top to bottom and just listen to – and it, it, I, have, I love all music. My kids um, – we have a post-grad group right now that's that created their own playlist and it has got some music on there that I have not heard before and every now and then one will come on the mix and I'm like, huh, I actually like that. Okay, and I'll add it to yeah. one of the, the other mixes I have. Um, food, I love going out for really nice food. I love food. Living in Chicago is not good for my waistline or my pocketbook. Um, <laughs> I need to move somewhere where they, they are just like, it's just terrible food. I don't know where that would be. I'd find good food anywhere. But I love food and then clothes I do enjoy very nice clothes and and high quality clothes um so that's that's probably more of a girl kind of thing stereotypically speaking but I know a lot of guys that like really nice clothes too so I guess that's not but I I definitely I enjoy looking nice even though I don't do it very often
0: <laughs> I mean I think it's, it's funny because you mentioned that being a coach and not having to look office nice mm-hmm. but but on the other hand is like it's nice when as a coach you got kind of like you know what once in a while, I want to dress up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> I exactly. Yeah. I, I don't do it nearly as often. I I, I also am not, not any good at it, but uh, I think yeah. I understand the, yeah. the feeling at least.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I definitely love, like, getting a – I bought a couple pairs of jeans, and they're, they're just fabulous, and I love them. And, man, it's pretty cool. But, no, but the big ones are food and food and music. Like, I will, I will shell out money for concerts, and I will shell out money for good food. And I have no problem doing either one of those things. So – I, I get a lot of crap because i don't cook at home but man why when and there's so many good restaurants wow. why why would i go do that when i can I mean, there's like four michelin star restaurants within a block of my house like, <laughs> come on yeah. uh do you do you have any sort of a
0: routine i guess it's it'd be hard on, on a daily basis because your day changes so much mm-hmm. been, uh, but do you have a, any sort of routine or any particular days that you have a routine
1: um the big the big it's more of a weekly routine Thursdays uh are a little bit of a short day I spend it mostly at home and work from home and get done relatively early which is really nice um because most of my nights are a little bit later because we're working on high school and then on Friday we have morning practice and we don't have afternoon practice which I thought I would hate when I moved out here because I was you know the standard coach oh my god we're losing an entire practice day but it's actually great it's great for the kids it's great for me the kids get to go and be part of their high school and enjoy being, like, normal kids for a night and and get home to bed early because we have early morning practice the next day. But I, I also can see some of my friends that aren't coaches and have normal jobs and spend time with them. So I that's, that's kind of, like, my weekly routine. Daily-wise, I have to start with a cup of coffee. That's pretty much the only thing that's like standard in my week is that the first thing I do within the first like hour of waking up I have to have coffee and I love it <laughs> it can stunt my growth now I'm 40. <laughs> One, <laughs> 41 41 yeah. yeah how do you I know the answer to that question but uh, how do you go about writing
0: workouts are you uh software notepad uh template
1: um I very rarely repeat workouts we talked about this the other day yeah. I very rarely repeat workouts I have to we have a very unique setup here in at Nutrier where I don't have a ton of pool time. It's usually 90 minutes to 75 minutes. We have one two-hour practice a week. Sometimes two if I can get two on a Saturday. So I have to be really deliberate in my practice planning. I have a notebook, graph paper. That's been a recent change. I used to do line paper. Now it's graph paper. <laughs> um, and I and I have one per group and and write the workouts in there. Um when now that we're kind of back into like a normal routine, we're not practicing outside at our our outside facility, um I'll go back to putting it into commit. We use commit um, okay and i do I do like to track it. I love the commit template. I'm gonna shill for it a little bit, but <laughs> it really is like a really nice. It's very easy to use. It tracks workouts really well so I can see how long I write a workout for and Although my kids tell me that I always write an hour and 45 no matter how long the practice is. <laughs> um, whether it's two hours or an hour and 15 it's always an hour and 45. but uh, at least they understand that and so you so, sorry but do you, so you go notepad and then commit? then I com- then I move it over to commit. Okay. and so it's kind of like a double check when I'm doing that and then but I, I generally notepad and it's usually like one to two days ahead of time at most and then I'll usually change it. By the time, like if I write two or three days in advance, I might write the main set going out. If I there's one I want to plan for later in the week, and then I have a season plan that I'm I'm operating on, so okay that has a little bit more thought put into it.
0: <laughs> and so you kind of mentioned this, but so you write two or three workouts ahead of time, and then kind of just go back and yeah. check.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I'll then I'll trace out like the main set maybe down the week, and then maybe change how we prepare for it based on what I'm seeing in the workouts. Um, yeah, I, I have maybe three or four workouts that I repeat every year, but that's about it. Mostly because I just, I don't like coaching things that are boring. I like being engaged in the workout as much as the kids do, and I really try to mix it up a lot. Um, sometimes I pull from other sources, sometimes I don't. I Most of the time I don't. If I do, it's like a little part of the main set, and then I tweak it so it fits into what I want to have accomplished. Um, I like to think about a particular race every time I plan a workout so when I'm, I'm planning a workout I'm thinking about a particular race regardless of whether it's a specialty workout and we're working on different specialties like we had a specialty workout on Wednesday um and like the distance guy was working on mile stuff and the the 400 IMers had a set that was 400 IM based instead of 200 IM based the sprinters were 200 free based and then the uh specialist stroke specialists were 200 based as well, and. Um, I just thought about like that, pati- what part, and then it's like once you pick the race, what part of the race do you want to work on? Are you working on a technical skill that you want them to have, or are you working on a race strategy skill? Are you going to combine them? Can you combine them in a set? Are you going to work on a particular muscle or energy system and kind of scale back? Um, most of the time, it takes me about an hour per workout. So sometimes less if I'm like on a roll. Yeah.
0: And have you. Have you made any kind of uh, recent changes to uh, training philosophy or or training equipment that you use, added some stuff? Is there anything that's like kind of more recent that?
1: Well, moving here, I changed a lot. I used to have like an 11 practice, like a week, standard two hours of practice, like a very stereotypical practice setup. Was very high volume, was very high intensity, how hard of the workout I can get. And now it's about how good a workout I can get. What kind of energy can I create? What kind of vibe can I create for the kids to have a good team environment last summer the big thing we did you talk about recent um the big thing we did last summer was my assistant coach and I sat down and we talked about like what would be the biggest win for us at the end of the summer and the biggest win was going to be if we could be a team at the end of the summer like a really tight team across the guys and the girls because they practice separately during the short this short course season and trying to get them to work together in the long course season and then really set up the short course season. So I guess it's a reverse spoiler for the kids. I wasn't as focused on their performance as I was about the team dynamic because we wanted to set up a good team dynamic going into an Olympic trials year, going into that prep. And that was our big accomplishment. And so every practice was planned so that it had a team dynamic involved in it so that we would focus on, what are you doing in your lane? Are you celebrating the people in your lane? Are you focused on what other people are doing? We did an entire training camp where that was the entire focus was was helping kids support each other and learn how to do that. We went technology free for three days. It was freaking amazing. They they totally the first day they were a little rough, but then like they really bought in and really did a great job with it. Did I'm you sh- collect
0: phones or we
1: collected phones? I'm pretty sure they still had iPads and stuff like that, but they did a pretty good job of like still socializing when they were in their rooms. But they weren't allowed to travel with that anywhere we went, and they did a great job. It meant that I had to be on Insta Patrol, which. Oh God, <laughs> dangerous! But um, they did a they did a spectacular job adapting to that and being excited about that. It forced us to communicate. Three days is
0: a long time. Three days them. is a long it's time.
1: Like- it is a long time. And as coaches, we put our phones away as much, you know. Yeah. And like, if parent that way, parents could call us if there was an emergency. They could get in touch with us. But like, we put ours away too. We really like made a conscious effort to be present in what we were doing, and it resulted in a really great meet. Our kids were able to swim really well, unrested, down in, in Jacksonville, and they we had a buddy system. So you had a buddy, like one of the, one of the ladies was paired with one of the gentlemen, and they had to they were in charge of making sure the other person was in a good place for the whole trip. That was like the entire, and it was like, you know, you, you if they needed water, could you? It was your buddy need what that water that day? You know, if they were swimming, you needed to be cheering. You needed to know what their goal was for that race and help them to it. You know. It was really neat, and they really – we were really nervous about it, and then they did a spectacular job with it. And it really set up for a nice end of season. Everybody swam well. We had best times almost across the board. They weren't spectacular. They weren't blow the doors off fast, which is, I kind of think, what they expected and what they hoped. But the cool part was is they were enjoyed. by the time we got to the end of the summer, everybody enjoyed being around everybody else and valued everybody else's goals and what they wanted, and cared about how they swam. And that was a really hard thing to do as a coach because you want so badly there to be these fast, fast swims. Right. But at the end of the day, what's most important is going to be these relationships for the kids. And I think it set up a really nice setup for the ladies. They're swimming really, really well already in high school season. The gentlemen are having a great time. They're just keyed in i mean we didn't swim super great today but it's the shark frenzy so we're okay with that um but they they care about each other they want to be around each other they want that team dynamic and they they're excited about it i mean you've coached a couple they're dialed in like nothing i've ever seen yeah i was
0: gonna say just having seen the dynamics of that group i'd say yeah if that's where that comes from yeah it's something that everybody should try yeah uh,
1: it was it was a risk it was an absolute risk because it could have completely backfired But I felt we had been focusing on the numbers too much. And we've totally moved away from like setting goal times necessarily. Our entire goal sheet is all about your interaction with the sport rather than your time. And we do talk, you know, in the goal meetings, we talk about, you know, what do you want to do? Well, I want to to make junior nationals. I want to make senior nationals. I want to make Olympic trials. What does that look like? You know, we talk a lot about the time. We talk a lot about the pace. We talk a lot about rate. What does that look like? What does that mean you're doing? Are you are you being that good teammate? Are you being that good, you know? Are you are you making the right choices to have that kind of success? And so that's been it's been pretty neat, and we've got a pretty amazing group of young men and women leading our team, and it's trickling down. We had a great moment today when they all they they wanted to have all the little kids cheer with them, and so they all moved over to the other side so that the little kids could cheer with them, and it was a special moment, and I think that was really. Um, it was captured on our Instagram perfectly so <laughs> nice job Katie um, <laughs> like it was just really it was really cool and that's the type of dynamic that I want to see created because at the end of the day this is a community that and again this is all about self reflection and how I feel about swimming and stuff like that but I think coaches the reason we're in this is be, in, the, in officials and as swimmers the reason we're in this is because swimming has given us something when we needed it most when things weren't working out, when things were sad, when it was dark, when it was, you know, we needed, we needed something, somewhere we could go, this was it. You know, whether it's the community. I don't know what it is about swimming that creates that community. Maybe it's the four-hour swim meets. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, you're in this environment doing something with people that you love that you get to talk about and you get to be excited about swimming. And what we wanted to do was create that environment for our kids so that they felt like, Five years from now, they can be like our post-grads that are coming back in training and being the best buddies ever, And but also have these great memories that are going to last way longer than whatever time you go. I mean, trials are great. Don't get me wrong. Super excited to go this year. Really awesome. I can't wait to see how our kids swim. I can't wait to see how our college kids swim. I can't wait to just see swimmers swim fast because that's really cool. But at the end of the day, the – there's a really good chance that the best meet that kids have is going to be like at the senior state meet because we're all cheering together or, or the best memories they have. Or like when we go to Disney World at the end of NCSAs, <laughs> you know, like that's going to be the moment, you know, yeah, it's awesome. I went like my senior national time in the 50 free. Great. We went to Disney World on Sunday and so-and-so did this, this, and this. And that's what, yeah. you know, it's really going to key in. And that's what makes like that gratitude and that, you know, those pieces kind of relate.
0: Right. It's great, I and mean, because you you hear all the time from swimmers like the the memories from the sports what they take away. They barely remember their times. It is not as often you hear coaches talking about trying to set up a program at least for a while. Like that's that's my main goal, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't mean you don't care about how fast they mm-hmm. swim. You clearly do, mm-hmm. but but you're really focusing And I I, I mean I, I'm in awe of like some of these ideas in terms of uh, how to try to create that. Well, it's a it's a
1: it's a process. I don't think we have it perfect. It's I've never thought this way about it before. It just sort of happened organically on my old team, and we had a really good close group when I left. Like it was really tight, and everybody really cared a lot about each other. And I think that if we can do that on a much bigger scale here, it's going to have a huge outreaching impact in the community and create this great space um it's why we we brought water polo in it was a, it was an intentional decision on my part because i think that there are kids that find this sport and they don't like it because it's intense it's every day it's you know it's this microcosm of intensity where you're isolated in this spot where you talk to somebody for 5 seconds on the wall and i mean if you think about the concept of a practice like you don't talk a whole lot during practice. You don't have human interaction. It's an hour of like basically sensory deprivation. That's not for everybody. And so by bringing in water polo, we were able to make sure we had an outlet for everyone to feel like they have this team community. And that's been pretty cool. That's
0: pretty neat. So kind of segueing, I'm not sure this is a great segue, but it's mm-hmm. the best I can come up with. But uh, Sounds good. Let's do yeah. it. I really like to kind of circle back to... Uh, we we have discussed through the week a, a lot of the challenges of the coaching as a profession mm, mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of something that you touched on early on in terms of salary uh, i guess kind of trying to bring back conversation we had in terms of uh what can coaches do especially in terms of trying to change the, this pattern i guess kind of like you mentioned at the beginning coaches think they shouldn't talk about salary i I agree. It's a mistake. I think we should talk about it. And if the market and salary for coaches is not ideal, it's not what we want to see, then how can we go about changing? Earlier in the week, we had a conversation about, we are probably one of the only business models that thinks about, we can charge this much and then what can we do with this money versus what does it cost to run our program and pay our staff? And then how much do we have to charge?
1: Sure. Um, So yeah, like we were talking about earlier, because that was, it's a fascinating conversation. It really is. I think that there's... You can, you can argue both ways, but I know in other states I've worked in, I'm not going to name any LSCs, I've worked in a couple, but they, we set our rates based on our competitors. And there's some, there's some business model where that makes a lot of sense. But that only makes sense if that business model is based off of operational costs. And we as, a, as an industry do not do that at all. Um, we don't work to try to negotiate pool time as a community better. We don't work to, I mean, I, you really do not want to know the cost that we have for pool time. (laughs) It's a little ridiculous, but one of the great things about my program is that we do budget for that. That's how we set, um, and, and we're going to be doing an evaluation on that. Uh, and we do that on an annual basis. Like how are we covering our costs? You have three a very smart treasurer who came into a meeting one time and said we have three dials we can turn to generate more income you can dial the coaches up or down down obviously means we get more revenue yeah. up would means get less Dial the number of athletes that we have on the program more more revenue less less and cost and, and price and that's where we have like the most ability to to make some movement um as a as an industry you because there's only so many things you can do with the athlete wheel because you only have so much pool space you can only put so many kids in a lane safety safely it's not like not to denigrate cross country or anything like that but it's not on land where there's infinite amounts of space where you can throw 50 kids in one spot and generally do okay yeah somebody falls down they might break a leg that's fine they're not gonna die (laughs) <laughs> like
0: drown, yes. like if
1: somebody drowns in our practice like that's a legitimate yeah. concern Yeah. so you can you, you have a finite wheel you can spin there based on what your pool space is coaches again goes back to that athlete dial what are you covering safely you know we generally go with per facility we aim for three coaches per facility if we can we go two coaches per workout sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't and then that where we can turn is that price and that's where i think we miss out on what it costs to run the program and i think we say oh well well this team down the road only charges this this is going to make us the highest price program we are the highest price program i've always worked for the highest price program yeah. in the neighborhood like i don't know maybe it's just because <laughs> i like food and 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 music so much that it makes it difficult but um, they, they're, they're still, if you provide the product, everybody's gonna be okay with that. But you have to provide the product, which is that coach's wheel and that pool facility wheel. Are you providing those? Okay, great. Then you can charge more. But at the same time, like, what? There's five coffee shops on the street a block from my house. We went and got coffee at one of the more expensive ones because it's a better cup of coffee, and right. and, and and it's just a better cup of coffee than Starbucks, and it's more; it's a dollar more per cup, but it's
0: which is twenty percent in this which case. is twenty
1: percent, yeah. But that's like that's that's significant, right? You know, we don't even, and, but that's what it costs for them to do business. They even have a little sign on there that says we're paying for our employees' insurance, so it's going to be up a, a little bit more expensive, so our employees can be insured.
0: Right. They Yeah, they're, they're,
1: they're very upfront with why it's more expensive. Yeah. And I'm totally okay paying it because I would like, I love my barista that's at that particular coffee shop. I saw her last on Thursday and I was like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. But it's like, there, there's a quality to that. The service is better. There, are the air is better. The, the, just the ambiance is better. It's a different feel in there. And I'll pay more for a cup of coffee for that. I'll pay for the seven dollar quiche because it's freaking good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and that's and that's fine. We don't do that in swimming. We don't value what we cost. I we sit in a I can't tell you how many board meetings I sit in and they're like, dude, hockey for six weeks is two thousand dollars for like a thirteen year old travel hockey team, two thousand dollars for six weeks. That's not including the travel meets, like the tra- the competition. Which-
0: it's usually like every other week. Right. And a, it's at least two to $300. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, and that's not including pads. It's not that you have to change because that's a safety thing. You know, as a kid gets bigger, you have to change and get more pads. And yes, there's a pad exchange program, but there's certain pads that you can't do that with. And you
0: know,
1: yeah. they price what they're worth. They price what they're worth. Um, I have a friend in North Carolina who runs a, or in Virginia, he's in Virginia now, and he runs a gymnastics tumbling program. It's huge. It's huge. And he'll run our clinics for 40 to $45 with 25 kids in it for an hour, books up like that. We don't even think about that as a concept of what we can do. And that's outside of what kids are already paying to be on a part of the team. You yeah. know, and, and so we've kind of developed that model at our program. And it's worked great. You can coach 24 kids that are there for that purpose. They know we're working on starts today. I'm in the mindset of we're working on starts today. We're going to work on starts today. You know, And I just don't think we we value ourselves. You know, we get mad when other people don't value swimming. We don't as an industry. Like we, we see ourselves as yes, there's this life-saving affordability and at the introductory level, and we were talking about this earlier at the introductory level, absolutely. It should be accessible a hundred percent. Yeah. We're not, we're We're, not talking about, I'm not talking about swim lessons. I'm not talking about the beginner, the six year old that's joined my team for six months.
0: And I also think for anybody listening to this conversation, if, because uh, some people say, well, but swimming is already not accessible for some families and for some income levels. And I guess kind of what he says is, like, yeah, but it's already not accessible with what we're charging. Right. So there, there's something to be said about making it more accessible f- for them at that level. But at the same time, charging right. what it costs. To operate. To operate. And that's
1: where you create, if you can create a community, which is what we've done here. And it, what has been so great is we have a scholarship program. We have the ability to help. Families make swimming accessible by creating that community family. If you can create a community family that contributes and creates that opportunity for those kids to do great things, I don't know if you're necessarily doing the wrong thing. I think you're. I think you're creating a sense of and this is the liberal altruistic idea <laughs> of what I think about things. Um, so I'm going to let my liberal out a little bit. If you have, there's some element of what you should give back. So that other people can experience it too, and the more we can help the people that don't have, the more that the people that have can grow and be successful. You know, and and there, and it's not saying that I don't want Susie to not have swim lessons because she can't afford it. I never want that to be a reason why you don't swim for my team. Let's figure it out. Let's have a conversation. You know, we have options with our program to do that. And to facilitate opportunity for kids to be a part of our program, and we do it in all levels. And I, I, I'm talking more when I talk about pricing. I'm talking more about when we get to that travel side. When we get to those kids that are really committing to nine, ten hours a week of practice. Let's what are we, what are we really charging? Are we charging what we're worth? You know, I mean, you know, if I take what we, what I, we charge our top level group, are we charging? Are we, are we charging what I'm worth? Am I am I worth that? You know, right. and and monetize, monetizing your own personal worth is a scary thing. I think sometimes, yeah. Because I think again, when you go to a swim coach, they're they're intrinsically humble, for the most part. Even the most bra- braggadocio kind of guys or girls, they're 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 humble at the at the core. And it you don't want to take too much. You don't right. want you never want to take away from your team. You know. Yeah. And I think you know when we talk about coaches salaries and things like that and like I said my team does a great job taking care of it I am I am extraordinarily fortunate there's so many teams that are not that are not structured to be economically sustainable or financially sustainable for coaches to coach at Um, and I was I coached at one of those and it was hard I had like three jobs I worked my old job I would coach in the morning I would have to do some office hours that were required and then I had to I would either go work another job as like a, I did some part-time office work at one point. I scooped ice cream at one point. I got fired for not being able to make a waffle cone. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) So things I, things I can't do. You talk about failure. Can't make a waffle cone. What have I learned? Probably shouldn't make waffle cones anymore. I don't really, there's sometimes there's things you just can't do and it's okay. And you will live. But uh, you know, and then I'd, I'd coach an afternoon practice. And then I'd go. I'd go DJ for like another three or four hours afterwards. Get home at eleven o'clock at night, and do it all again the next day. And yeah, it's, it's and it's and that's not a sustainable lifestyle for anybody. And you know, let alone. I, I know we talked a little bit about like the social ramifications of coaches, but
0: whew. yeah, if you're it's...
1: available for brunch, let's hang out. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I got. Yeah. It's, uh... yeah.
0: Uh, yeah being able to to have a, a regular social life as a coach is very difficult and it, it really is it's when, when you're talking about being a full-time coach which oftentimes if, if you're not a coach you don't realize that it's not just the back hours
1: mm-hmm.
0: sometimes it's 50 60 hours before we can meet yeah and and then you're you're tackling on a second job or something like that to supplement income so that and again we're not talking there's there's really not a lot of coaches out there talking about, like, I want to buy a second boat.
1: No, it's, no. <laughs> we're talking
0: about... No, uh, it's,
1: it's I want to, you know, I remember when I, when I coached at my previous job, that DJing job legitimately some nights was my grocery money, like, for the next two weeks. I could make $50 stretch for a really long time. And it was, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very fortunate now. I've worked very, very hard to get to this point, and I feel very lucky that I'm able to be here. Yeah. I can't, I can't overstate that enough, because not, not every program is like this, and it's, um, it is a little bit of a weird dream sometimes. Like I was standing on deck this morning, coaching masters, and I was really tired, but the coffee was kicking in, and as I'm sitting there watching masters swim, I was like, "This is my job." Like. Like, I, I was thinking about, like, the pool that I used to coach at and the team I used to coach and how great it was. But now I get to coach in this pool that has, like, a ceiling that's more than nine feet high, and the, the, the air is great, and the pool is clear, and the, the, the people are engaged, and it was just a lot of fun. And, you know, it's I'm, – I'm really fortunate because it, it, it's not like that for a lot of coaches. Right. And, I, and I totally feel that, 100%. Yeah. So –
0: I guess besides perhaps starting the conversation, maybe on a national level, did you, would you have any any advice for people to kind
1: of start? Uh... Learn how to budget. I think that's a lot of it. I think that's something that if USA, again, I'm talking about like things that USA Swimming could do that would help. <laughs> um, it, it's not just USA Swimming. I think anybody could do it. ASCA, I think I, I I'd be more than happy to sit down with anybody. I'm still not the best at it. We, have, we contract out to a CFO to help me with this and to help make it successful, but learn how to budget. Being able to work with QuickBooks, being able to really know where your money is going in and out and have people on your board that are willing to tell you that and to hold you accountable to it because it's spicy, but and it, it often leads to difficult conversations sometimes with board members, but it's 100% worth it because you become a better... I've always had someone on my board that gets that better than I do and then forces me to reevaluate how to do that budget and to make it accountable. And then once you have that budget, then you can figure out how much you can pay your coaches. Then you can figure out what our bottom line needs to be, where does that turn need to happen And you know, sometimes you turn those rates sometimes you don't. I can't guarantee that you know, I mean every every team I think should look at doing a, Standard of living raise every year on their rates. I think that's something that's really important. We kind of do that because then that covers the standard of living raise for our coaches.
0: Yeah, but not 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 a lot of clubs do that. though. No, they're they they
1: very they're scared just... to do that. Very scared, yeah. and it's and it's understandable. Um, I had a conversation with a friend the other night just about that and just how it's tough because you feel like you want everybody to be able to have access to what you do, and it's heart wrenching when you when you put that number out there. One thing we do at Trier, which is phenomenal, is we cha- cha- charge by season, rather than month to month. And so there's a there's positives and negatives, but at the big I've only seen a positive, because you can really actually have a real budget and know what you're getting, and the parents know what they're getting too. And they, it's a commitment; it's a two-way commitment. Anytime you have an exchange of goods and services, for financial with a financial tone, there's an agreement there, and the agreement is that they're trusting us with their kids. To provide them a service and we have to do our best to do that and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and sometimes your team isn't right for everybody sometimes the schedule doesn't work for everybody and it's and it's hard like that i hate the phone calls when a parent's like i don't understand why the practice is at this time i can't make that because that's that's when we have time and it's hard and they're like well we're going to go to this other program because that fits our schedule i mean i'm sure you've had that yeah you know and and it's hard. It's, any parent that thinks that the coach on the other side of the phone isn't just upset is wrong. Like those are, those are really hard conversations and they really, they hurt a lot because we do care about every kid. And I do even even here with the size of the team that we have. Like I, I, I work really hard to try to learn all the kids. I work really hard to try to see all the practices and see all the kids swim and the coaches coach. And it's heart-wrenching when a kid decides to leave. Especially when it's something that I can't control, or that we have to do, or whatever. I'm sure, like, yeah, we've all I, been there. Yeah, I think I, that's like that,
0: that is one of the one of the hardest things. Uh, and when it's something approach. you can't control, yeah. yeah. If you could pick, kind of, almost wrapping up here and moving mm-hmm. on from yeah. the deepest, uh, yeah, the our, of which swing. I I think was great. I'm I'm really glad. We're having this conversation. I went super. I, I went super yeah. dark there, no, I, you know, again, just to be clear, I, I told you to be honest. That's one of the conversations I do think we need to have mm-hmm. as coaches more often, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm glad to put this one out there. Mm-hmm.
1: And like I said, I'm I'm and I cannot reiterate this enough. I'm so lucky to be working here, like so lucky to have right. this opportunity. But ha-
0: having seen, having been in a place where, where it wasn't that way, yeah. I
1: totally I, I feel like it's important to have that conversation. Right. Um, not everybody can be at the Taj Mahal of swimming is what I call us.
0: (laughs) So if you could pick, let's say up to three, don't have to be three, but up to three skills or qualities that you would like all the athletes that go through your program to have by the time they're they're getting done. It could be, it's really open-ended. It could be swimming skills, it could be character qualities. If you Mm -hmm. could pick up to three.
1: Up uh, to three. Um, First would be kindness and sense of community. So that idea that what you do echoes in into infinity. Second would be that the hard work that you put in eventually will be incredibly impactful, and it's never. And patience is a virtue. And then, lastly, sorry, you mean patience is a virtue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, lastly, probably that. There's there's a lot in there, but I think it's the idea that this is the greatest sport, and you should be proud of it. You should be proud to be a swimmer. I think sometimes people are they don't like having the, oh, so you do some lessons or you now be proud, be proud yeah. of the fact that you get to do this sport because it's incredibly difficult and not everyone can do it. And the fact that you have the opportunity, be proud. Like this is it's really cool yeah we're super lucky like that this is what we get to do for like 20 hours a week like come on so much better than sitting in front of youtube or playing minecraft or anything like that and and not to denigrate against gamers and things like that because i'm sure in another world or another lifetime that would have been something that appealed to me but god it's cool
0: (laughs) yeah it is it's uh uh, understanding a study how, of, how, how special it is.
1: If, I mean, it's a study of nuances, yes. like the subtle nuances of how, an, how a hand position can change, like the flow of an entire stroke or breakout, or as we witnessed today on the breakout. breakout <laughs> Breakouts are important. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the shout out to one of our athletes here, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know who you are. You totally screwed your last breakout on your, on your hundred freestyle. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, last uh, real question that I Mm -hmm. have. Sometimes this catches people off guard, but uh, after even this this long of a conversation, (laughs) what is is the most important thing people should know about you?
1: Uh, (laughs) um, Probably that I'm a lot more approachable than I seem. I get one of the big things of feedback that I get a lot is that I'm really intense and that my passion can cloud my humanity. And I am um, for all the the intensity that I may portray, I'm actually I care a lot about the people that I meet, the people that I talk to. I have I've been blessed with an incredible memory. And so I will remember who you are. I may not remember your name right off the bat, but I may, I will get there. I'll get to it. And I'll remember every bit. I love, I love getting to meet new people because every person I meet gives me something that I can, I get to take with me and like add to my bank of skills and talents and stories. And it's just amazing. And I think that just because I'm tall and scary does not mean that I'm am, I am tall and scary. I I do. I do genuinely like talking to people. Um, and and I've learned to accept my introvertedness and let it be outside the box sometimes. Although as you've witnessed this week, sometimes I have to just shut it down. <laughs> and I'm like, it's music and it's workouts and it's here and that's mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah, know that I'm not. That intensity is is big, but it's not everything. So
0: I will echo that in, <laughs> in the being approachable. We've only met, I think, two years ago, three years ago, maybe at a convention, mm-hmm. it's, and it's been great mm-hmm. to meet you. Earlier in this conversation, we talked. I mean, we talk, I, this was a great conversation. I know Thanks, this. I, I mean, we, we could that. have. It's yeah, like sitting I mean, down for dinner. It's been yeah, great. It yeah. Is, it's so great. And uh, you mentioned the gratitude, and and I I feel. I could use the excuse of English being my second language, but I don't think I would find the words in Portuguese to be <laughs> grateful enough for you to having me here and, and everything I've seen this week and learned this week and, and sitting down. I think this is awesome. So thank well, you.
1: Well, it's been great having you. I've yeah. really, I've really enjoyed it. I, it, there, you ask really good questions all week that really do make me kind of reflect. And I appreciate that because I think it's important to kind of look at what I do. And I mean, heck, I already have two really good ideas I'm going to go with moving <laughs> forward. So. I appreciate it and I love it when coaches visit our program and having you here for this week has been great. All
0: right. Do you have any closing thoughts would you like to put out anyways for people to get in touch or follow on social media or things like that?
1: Sure. I have an Instagram account at Coach Keto. I do contract work for LSCs and teams to come in and do leadership camps. I ran the Leadership Summit in 2018 with um, a great staff of coaches and athletes, and I'm really passionate about athlete development and athlete leadership. And so I've done a couple of those, and I really enjoy doing that, and so I'm available to come out from time to time uh, to go and work with athletes and LSEs and get them excited about being part of the process. Um, the more voices we have in the room from athletes, this is their sport, it's not ours. We're just Sherpas on their their journey up Everest which is apparently a really long line and crowded now, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're always more than welcome to, uh, shoot me an email through our website, swimntsc.org, or hit me up at a swim meet. Like I'm, I'm, you can find me. I'm hard to miss. So <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks again. Yep. And, absolutely. Uh, Thank you.
1: Yeah. I appreciate it.
0: That was it for another episode of the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy this, please take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, make sure you subscribe. And thanks again to Alexis for a great time in and around Chicago and for agreeing to do this long-form interview. As I mentioned in the intro, there were many times during the editing process where I stopped everything just so that I could take notes, on top of the notes I had already taken during the interview. And so, I hope this was nearly as helpful for you as it was for me. Make sure you check out the show notes on my blog, swimcoachintransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can always find links to everything we talked about that I could link to, as well as notes on the club visits I did while traveling and recording this podcast. And I know I'm partial, but I really think there's some good stuff out there. Thanks as always to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And also thanks to Zappslatt for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.